Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, we have my chat with illustrator Miriam Strasberg, who you may know as at Peaches Obviously. She is a Montreal-based illustrator who designs covers for traditionally published and indie books. You may have seen her work on the covers of Always the Almost by Edward Underhill or Fake Dates and Mooncakes by Cher Lee. When not making art for the publishing world, she draws character art for her own satisfaction, which is also for sale in her Etsy shop. She studied fine art at Concordia University in Montreal and learned Procreate from the internet. Her commissions are currently closed. You'll hear Miriam talk about her background as an artist and how she came to be a go-to illustrator for book covers and character art, the process for designing traditionally published and indie book covers, and being her own small business and finding a balance that gives her a space to create. And now, through the magic of podcasting, here's my conversation with Miriam. With the English accent, it's Miriam Strasbourg. But with the French accent, it's Miriam Strasbourg. I took one year of French and I have an aunt who's Swiss. So I like will pretend that I can do a good French accent, but it's uh, it's not true. It's fine. All right. Well, Miriam, thank you for joining us for the Meet Cute Book Pod. I'm so excited to chat. I love your artwork. Let's start with a little bit of background about you. How did you first get into art? Yeah, in Quebec, we do have a program after high school that's called Cégep where it's a two or three year program after you finish high school and then before you go to university. It's not mandatory, but a lot of people do it. And I took fine art in that program. Then I went to uni also in fine art. Uh, I did a major in painting and drawing and a minor in film study. Very fun, but everything I learned about being an illustrator, it was after I finished university. So you got a lot of sort of art skills, but not maybe like business skills. Is that what you mean? More like the, the fine art program, painting and drawing especially, is very physical. So there's a lot of um, painting and drawing and screen printing, and you can do like sculpture and that type of stuff. And Illustrator is more an iPad, a computer, and that's Oh, stuff. okay. And did you, were you always interested in illustration or did that sort of come about later? I think it's something that I didn't know really existed as a profession. Mm-hmm. I do know now that there's program illustration programs in university. But at the time, the only art program was fine art. So I kind of learned when I was at university toward the end that it was a possibility. I yeah. feel like that's really common. People start doing the things they know about because you can't mm-hmm. know about everything when you're, you know, 18 or however old you were. You need to take a decision <laughs> about your future when you're 16. I mean, I've changed careers like three times. So yeah. I worked in a bookstore for a, a very long time. Oh, so you were a bookseller? Yeah, in a, in a chain in Quebec, but still in the book section. Have you always been a big reader then? Pretty much, yeah. I think it's very common. Like younger kids, when they do get into reading, it stays. So are you, is art your full-time job right now? It is now for about a year and a half. And I know I'm very lucky that it is my full-time job. Would it be this good forever? I don't know. But for now, it works and I'm living from it. So that's amazing to me. That's fantastic. I'm Congratulations. Thank you. I hope it stays forever. I hope too. 
Okay. So you said you sort of discovered that illustration was a career possibility near the end of university. What did you do when you graduated? Like, how did you go out into the professional world? So I was still working in that bookstore and that was my student job. And after university, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just kept on working there. And slowly I posted stuff online on Tumblr, on Instagram. People got an interest in it. And eventually more people joined in and kept sharing stuff. People asking to share specific stuff. Started doing uh, illustration for books because I was in the bookstore pretty much full time. And I kept seeing those covers and I was like, that's something maybe I could do for fun. And I do remember when when COVID, everyone was on lockdown here. We had like, I think there was like four months where everything was closed, even our bookstore. And I just spent a lot of time working on covers for fun, working on illustration for fun, because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah, posted online a lot. The internet and particularly social media has played a really big part in your becoming a full-time artist. I think that building up of an audience really helped for now or for the last two years. But at the time, I, I didn't see it as an investment. I saw it more as an hobby, as something fun and something that uh, people wanted to see and that I wanted to share. And I just wanted to like geek out about what I was watching, reading, anything. I mean, I think you can see in your work that you really like and are sort of invested in the subjects that you're drawing. For the most part, I draw what I want to draw. And in, in the last few years, I do have commission, but I've been also very lucky about commission because most of the time those commissions are awesome. I would have drawn that anyway, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. All right. So you now do commissioned work and you've had a couple covers through traditional publishers, Fake Dates and Mooncakes and Always the Almost, Mm -hmm. both of which are really identifiable, I think, as your work. And I want to talk more about your style later, but let's start with talking about how the process works for when you do covers for books that end up getting published through like big publishers. So what happens? Do you just get like an email one day and someone's like, hey, do you want to do a cover for this book? Basically, yes. In both cases, for fake dates and always the almost, it was the art directors that emailed me. They emailed me and they mentioned the brief, like they have this cover and they have this idea and they ask if I have the time and interest. Usually it's yes. (laughs) And afterward, they sent me like a file, a mood board, but like, more complete than a mood board. So there's the the synopsis of the of the book, the characters with photos, uh, like Pinterest boards and sketches. Both of them did very basic sketches, not figure stick, but like just the general composition or general idea they they both had. And from there, I do a sketch, and they they also sent me both the um, the book. So you had, eventually you had a synopsis and the actual book if you had time to read it. I think I was able to read Always the Almost before I started working on it and Faded and Mooncakes. I was about halfway through and like started working on it afterward. So having the books and having the time to read the books really helps. It's a bigger project and a bigger budget. So it takes into consideration the time you would take to read the book, if that makes sense. And does reading the book 
did it feel like it helped a lot when you got it halfway through fake dates and mooncakes? Did it change anything you were doing? Um, a little bit about the setting, for example, the, the, the takeout setting for fake date and mooncakes is, um, it's an old Irish pub. So the, from the sketch, I could have imagined anything like a bakery or anything like something with a counter. But now after reading the book, it was like, oh, no, it's supposed to have like somewhat of an Irish feel. And also the um, the way that the characters would talk and would like carry themselves in the book. I had a better idea of the dynamic between the two characters that I wanted to have in the end. Like the, the gestuelle, the, the, like the, the, the poses for always almost the idea of the two characters sitting face to face at a table was very much already there. So I just reworked it, offered some variation, and then we moved to the coloring after that. For fake dates, I did, I think, four different sketches. Uh, The one that ended up being the cover, which was at the takeout. I did one more up close, uh, one where they were making mooncakes, and another version that was more like whimsical, where they were like floating. So you get all of this information from the art director, you do some sketches, they pick one, you do color. Is that it? You send it off, you're done, you don't touch it again? Always Almost was quite straightforward. Pretty much the first major iteration was the right one. There was some small changes, but the first one was the right one. For Fake Day the Mooncakes, the general color scheme changed quite a bit. Because there was some feedback, I would send a new version, then more feedback. and So at that point, you have sort of this sketch set and you're changing the coloring? Yeah, exactly. Once once the sketch is approved, it's more um, the color scheme, the lighting, the, the highlights and the shadows. I can do things on Canva and like that is the level of visual art skill that I have. So are you, you said you have training in painting and drawing, but you're doing this work mostly on the computer? I'm working on Procreate which is a really great app and it's it's I think $12 but what it does it's really amazing the app that it is it's very powerful so I do everything that's physically drawing with my Apple pencil on the iPad and then I export everything to Photoshop and Photoshop is more the the formatting sometimes there's a little bit of tweaking of uh, colors do you like doing that compared to your background in drawing with pencils, I assume, or whatever you used to draw with. At first it was kind of weird, but now it's just a reflex where the shortcuts for Procreate, I use them when I write on paper. Now it's it's where I'm most comfortable with. So when you have to change color schemes on something that you've drawn, is that a lot of work? Is it hard? I don't sort of understand a sort of technically what that requires of you. The more and more I do this job, I try to think uh, logically every step of the way. So at the beginning of the stage, I work a lot in layers where um, each layer contains its own information separate from the rest. So if I want to go change the color of a shirt, well, the shirt itself is on another layer and that can be easily changed with saturation and hue and like brightness. So because I do work in layers, in the first place, it makes it a lot easier later. It takes a lot more time to begin in with, but yeah, it's a good time investment at the beginning of a project. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I can see how that would be annoying as you're going, but helpful when you're closer to the end. And so then eventually it gets set, you send it off, that's it, you're out of the process. And the next thing you know, like there's a book and it has your art on it. Uh, Kind of, yeah, because I uh, I don't take care of the type, the title, the author's name, the synopsis on the back. It's all taken care of by the art director, I, I assume, I think. Someone who's not you anyway. Yeah, not me. Once it's approved, they might come back, but usually after like a few rounds of back and forth, like, oh, this is it. I think we do have we do have a winner. They get back to me when it's closer to um, when they send out arcs. And in both cases, they offered me to send an arc to me. That seems reasonable. Well, it's very appreciated. It's not needed. Like I know what the art looks like. I made it, but <laughs> yeah, no, but you should get to keep an arc of it. I think that's cool. Yeah, it's precious. All right. So that's how traditionally published covered design works. How does it work when you are taking commissions for indie books? What do you ask for on your sort of commission form? I haven't used a commission form in a while. So all the covers I've done in like last year or so was people contacting me, uh, asking if I was available. If I am, they do tell me what their book is about, what they're looking for for their covers. And from there, I do take like the final decision of, yes, I'm going to take on this commission or no. Sometimes just the time is too short. And sometimes the subject, I think it happened only once, but the subject really didn't fit. But most of the time, it's just time and schedule. I do assume, maybe I assume you wrong, but I do assume when people reach out to me that they do like my style and they want to have that style for their covers. So once you have decided you're going to work with someone on an indie cover, how does that go? What do they, what do you ask them for? What do they do? I ask them for any references that they have. It can be pretty much anything. It can be just a description or it can be a Pinterest board again, uh, images, other work I've done that they liked. So I can kind of see what grabbed their attention from my work. It can be pretty much anything. I'm very open to whatever they bring to the table and from what they bring to the table, Um, I do start sketching the same way that I do with traditional publishing books. And we do the back and forth somewhat similarly. The main difference I would say is that I do take on the type. Like I do take on the formatting, including all the type. I don't know if that's the right word to call it. Text, title. The words part. Exactly. The words part. (laughs) So yeah, that's the main difference that I do take on that part as well. What are the most useful things to get as references? Like a solid five or six photos, not too many. Sometimes it's very um, curated. I guess that's the answer. A very curated brief with a few photos, a good description of the book, a good description of the character if they want the character on the cover, reference for for those characters, photo reference can be like celebrities or whatever. And yet maybe one or two of my work that they love. Coherent and not too much information. Yeah. Like enough information. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not too much, but not too little. Yeah. The Goldilocks amount of information. Exactly. So how long, how far out are you working now? And how long does it usually take you to do like one cover? 
I would say if the the emailing back and forth is um, like one or two days waiting in both end, it usually takes maybe two or three weeks from the very beginning to the very end. Sometimes they do need more time to think about stuff. So not it has time, but I can do other stuff in the meantime. And so are you like booked out to 2024 now? I do try not to book myself too much in the future because it makes me really anxious to like not have any free time. Mm-hmm. I do have still a lot of free time to do other stuff, but it makes me anxious to go too much in the future. So I don't, I do have like one or two projects in April, then it goes to September. So I have like this gap where I might reopen my commissions or I might work on personal project, then reopen commissions. I don't know. (laughs) That I think I'm so glad that you're trying to create a schedule that works for the way you want to work. Weirdly enough, commissions are not the main. Well, they are like about half of what I do. And the other half is the small business that I have. So I do have to be conscious of my time. Before we talk about business, I'm interested in in your style. And like, how would you describe your style? And how did you develop that style? A lot of practice and a lot of um, trying out stuff, trying out different approach. And also being online a lot and seeing what's being put out there by other artists and seeing, oh, I do like how they do this thing. I might try to do something similar in my work. Like, I do like how they use line work, or I do like how they use texture, or I do like how they use pastel colors. And I do pick and choose, but it, it didn't look like it does look like right now at the beginning. I started on Tumblr making edits. So I think we all start on Tumblr making edits in some kind of way. But yeah, a lot of practice and a lot of picking and trying stuff out, see if I like it. I don't go to something else. I do. I keep it gathering elements to create this. I don't know if it's a, um, a fully formed style yet. I don't think it can be fully formed ever. So in a year or two, it might look super different, but that's where I'm at right now. Do you feel like your sort of academic art background has influenced it or do you feel like it's separate from that? I think uh, um, there's some stuff I learned that I keep in the back of my mind, even if it doesn't apply directly. Like in fine arts, they always say, don't use straight up black or straight up white from the tube when you paint or when you draw. Because when you do mixed colors, you get richer black and richer whites. So yeah, I don't go straight up to black. I always go like a darkish purple, darkish brown. I always keep that in mind. Also, taking a step back, that really helps. It's easier with a canvas because it's physically there, but on an iPad, it's like, okay, closing the iPad and going back the next day. That's also like another thing that I kept in mind. That's how I feel about a lot of schooling that I've had. There's sort of either details or like structures that are helpful, even if the actual thing you were doing is like really not relevant anymore. Exactly. All right. Well, now we can talk about the business side. So you are a full-time artist, which means you also run a small business that is basically you, your, your small business. How is that? It's pretty fun. It's surprising even now because at first it's like, oh, you should sell prints. Like, oh, thank you. 
that's that's kind. It's a way of saying, I do like what you do. And then it kept getting more comments. And it's like, oh, it's not just one person. It's more than one person who's interested. So that's, it's it's still somewhat weird to understand even now that like you want to have that on your wall. Yeah, I mean, because it's beautiful art, but sure. No, I understand. I really love to work on my own personal space, like my room and my living room, my kitchen. And what I put on the wall is somewhat, well, not somewhat, it is important to me. So when someone takes that decision to put something of mine on their wall, it feels like a big decision, if that makes sense. You get Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's yeah. meaningful. Yeah, exactly. So you, in addition to doing the book covers and sort of character art stuff, you do sell work on, on Etsy. Is that right? Yeah, I do have, I can do a, a short list. Prints, Dutch jacket, posters, cards, bookmarks, and I have one tote bag. Well, multiple tote bags, but with the same one design. I love the dust jacket idea. Is that is that common? I haven't seen it, but I may just be out of the loop. It's somewhat common, but the thing that I learned online <laughs> is that this jacket for paperbacks don't really exist for English books. I think. Yeah, we don't have them. I think it's so weird because French books, well, the same way that it might be weird, there's no art covers in French. Oh, you just don't have them? Like you, you do have art covers for art books, cookbooks, that kind of books, but for fiction, none. So you have a large format and the um, Foma Push, which is, uh, I guess, a mix between mass market and paperback. So the the books have dust jackets. But yeah. They're all the, what we oh, would consider like a paperback sort of with a dust jacket. Yeah, exactly. And not all of them, but often like big, bigger books, bigger names have dust jacket. And they also have um, what's called... Um, I don't know what to call it in English. It's called un bardeau, which is, um, it's exactly like a dust jacket, but it's cut in half. So it's like just oh. the of the book. And Interesting. On, the, on that piece of paper, it is like, oh, 10,000 copies sold. Or uh, sometimes there is a, that author said that it was the most amazing book they've read. So that. Okay. So it's like advertising material will go exactly. on it. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I don't think there's a word for that in English because we just I don't, don't think have that. that. That's not a thing. So yeah, the jacket on paperbacks were was very common to me. So I was like, oh, that's fun. I can do that. I can put the jacket on my books. And when I started selling them online, it was like, oh, it's for paperback. It's, is it meant to fit a paperback? How do you put it on the book? You're like, like I don't understand why this is so complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Should I do a TikTok about it? Like, Yeah, I didn't realize that. Um, so I yeah. too was like, oh, a dust jacket on a paperback. Interesting. The first few covers that I created for fun, purely for fun, it was only like just the covers and it was only meant to go on my Instagram. It was never meant to be on the book. Then afterward, there was a demand for them to be on the book. And I was like, hmm, okay, I guess we can do it. Not I guess we can do it, but I could do it. I'm going to think about how it would be done. And I think the first four or five books, they were all published in paperback only. Yeah. Romances in the in the U.S. typically don't get published in hardcover. They almost all are only in paperback for adult ones. YA ones are in hardcover. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I don't know. 
the mystery of publishing. Yeah. So how do you like logistically, right? Cause books are different shapes annoyingly to me. Like I, I'm on looking at a shelf and I'm like, how are these all slightly different? And then they're different thicknesses depending on how many pages. So how are you, are you somehow like you're taking out like a ruler and you're measuring how big they need to be? Exactly. Because you cannot trust any website online. They all say different sizes, all of them. And sometimes it's like, oh, a few centimeters. Sometimes it's an inch. Sometimes it's completely different from side to side. So you, well, I need to have the book in my hands to take a ruler and just measure it. No, that makes sense. I have had that experience with other things that I've tried to get measurements for online. And then I've been like, oh, that was not at all accurate. Exactly. I love that idea because I feel like we're getting a lot of, we're starting to get a lot of like pre-order incentive Mm. art, which I love, but then it's like, what do you do with it? Like, what do I do with this like postcard of the characters from this book? I mean, I've seen people like put, have like a whole corner where they put all of this stuff on a wall and it's beautiful. Mm. But short of that, I like the dust jacket because it goes with the, like it stays with the book. It lives there. It makes sense. You get to see it. Okay. So you have this business Mm -hmm. and you're, you're splitting your time between that and commission work. How are you doing the business side of this? Did you have any background in business? How did you learn how to, I don't know, like price things correctly? I looked online a lot at what other people were doing. Like, did they use Etsy? Did they use their own website? What kind of paper they used? What kind of printer they use? If they use a print and printing services, what was the services? The packaging? There's there's quite a lot. Yeah. And I first, hadn't even thought about the printing. That's such a, that's so important because what you're selling is art. So if it doesn't print well. Yeah. The, the And there's so many printers and there's there's quite, they're pricey. Yeah. If you want a decent printer, it adds up a lot. So the best way that I got started is being on Instagram, being online and seeing, oh, they do sell their thing. And like, you just do a little bit of snooping. You go see if they mention what type of printer they use in a TikTok or if they mention like on their website, what kind of uh, shipping they use, picking what fitted and what was available to me in Canada. There's just so many weird things that come up with small business stuff. I could do a long list, but it's kind of boring and it's a lot of (laughs) troubleshooting, weirdly enough. I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing, but I would be happy to, I'm always happy to share what I know. I'm always a bit scared. and like, oh, am I sharing the wrong information? Like, is it bad advice? As a lawyer, I I used to freak out every single time I had to give somebody like their legal rights. Like somehow I would get it wrong. Like this was my actual job. I went to law school. I did it all the time. But it's so weirdly complicated, especially stuff like around criminal law. That must be the most stressful thing. I'm stressed because I'm recommending a printer. Yeah. Well, I'm not a lawyer anymore. So maybe that's why. <laughs> So when you do cover design, are publishers coming to you sort of like, do you want to do this piece? And like, here is how much we will pay you for it. Like, this is what we pay for this sort of job. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. And then on the indie side, are you negotiating or you just have set prices that you will like adjust over time? Um, I do have a general baseline now and the, that baseline can go a bit up 
are a bit down depending on what they're looking for design-wise. So if it's a very complex design, well, more time. So logically, the price goes up. If it's something that it's a bit quicker to do or is less detail, then yeah, I go down a bit. But I, I, I'm always, I, uh, I always feel like I'm new to all of this and I don't feel that comfortable um, dealing with pricing in general. So how do you figure out the value of all of the time and the thought and the effort and the training that went into it and also how that correlates to what people are willing to pay or can pay? Like, how did you calibrate that? I did some research again. <laughs> a classic, always a good idea is go to Google. Yeah. Uh, I do know that uh, book covers in the US are paid a lot more than in Canada and a lot more than in Quebec because the market is a lot smaller, so less people, obviously. So I I look at all of those, then I looked at what freelancer were charging. Uh, I look at what kind of those freelancers work look like. With all of those prices, I went, oh, okay, that might be a good price. So just a lot of like self-starting research, like mm. hand-do attitude. Yeah, that's... Well, you're freelance, so your job is very on your own. Mm -hmm. No one's yeah. do it for you. Do you mind sharing what your current pricing is, or is it? Do you want to keep it under wraps? I don't mind sharing it. I don't know if, like, I, like I mentioned before, is it good or bad advice at the time? Depending, it's between three to five hundred for indie covers which is... I would have guessed so much more, Miriam. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I've never done this, but I feel like you might be underselling yourself. Those are the price that I started with. I might need to up them because I do have that mindset that if I do end the month with all my bills paid, then I'm succeeding in what I'm doing. I would guess knowing truly nothing about this and never having tried to get an indie cover designed that people might be willing to pay more. I think especially now that you've done some traditional covers and are getting more popular. I'm going to sound very youthful, but my mom says the same thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, you should charge more. I think you like, and logically, I would say the same thing for other people, other people's work, but it's very different when it's your own work. And I don't know. <laughs> I understand. It feels, it feels hard to do, but moms are right. A lot of the time. Like, yeah, she is pretty much always. What is your favorite part about doing this book illustration covers and character art? And what is sort of the hardest or your least favorite part? Favorite part? I, I'm not even sure if it relates to the work itself, but it's just a very, there's a lot of freedom to it. A lot of uh, freedom in schedule and picking up work that I want to work on. That's great. The least favorite part is that sometimes there's too much freedom. Like it can be a bit stressful to, again, take all the decision because you're the only one here doing yeah. this. That's you and you alone. So. <laughs> yeah. It's a double-edged sword. It's great because you get to make all the decisions. And also it's really hard because you have to make all the decisions. And are you working on anything new? Are you excited about something coming up? Are you working toward any goals that you want to talk about? Um, I'm currently working on a on a book box. Like I do quite, a, quite a book, like uh, subscription boxes, book boxes. Yeah, like the I special edition cover things. Exactly. So I'm working on 
uh, one that's supposed to come out July, I think. I don't know. So that's fun. Um, beside that, I had a lot planned for uh, January to April, but April it calms down. I do love commissions, but I also want to take the time to work on stuff for my Instagram and for like the public, just like social media in general. And also it usually goes in my shop too. So those are very, they're most more spontaneous and those kind of illustration, I decide when I want to work on them, however I want to work on them. So that's, I really love that. And beside that, there's nothing new at the time. I mean, that's, that's plenty of stuff. I think I'm very excited for this book box announcement, which I assume is currently a secret, but I will keep an eye out for. And so are you just picking when you do your own projects or you're doing them for your shop? Are you just picking things you have read recently that really struck you or whatever sort of is stuck in your brain? Exactly that. Whatever I'm hyper-focused at the moment, whatever media I'm just obsessed with, that's what I end up doing. Like everyone else, I watched The Last of Us, so that's kind of a brain rot at the moment. But yeah, having some free time allows those brain rots to flourish and become illustrations. So that's nice. I really admire how you're able to take time to do the things that feed you because I think it's really hard, right? Like you're an artist and art is not, it's not a factory product. You have to have creativity and space and you can't be burned out and exhausted all the time, but you're also a small business owner and that's like completely the opposite. So I think it's really admirable that you're balancing that. Every time I do an illustration for myself, it's a gamble. There might be people that I really want to buy it and there might be a lot of people that want to buy it in my shop, but there might be no one that wants to buy it. But the main part, the creating part has been a hundred percent fun in me. Well, I usually ask authors to like shout out a book they read recently or another author they love, but I wonder, is there another artist you're watching like on Instagram, someone else doing book art that you would like to shout out? Yes. <laughs> um, but I have three. I oh, don't sure. Too many are. Uh... Three is great. The first one, they're called Betsy over at A Rose Garden on Instagram. Love their styles for years and I'm looking at my walls and I have multiple prints of them. There's also at Kidnova. Uh, they do like fan art of whatever they're into. They did a lot of fan art of Red, White and Royal. We, I'm sure you've seen their work. And finally, most recently there's We Jacin. I don't know if I don't know if that's a French handle or not. I can email them to you if you'd like. Yeah, I'll put them yeah. in the in the podcast notes. They did the um Dutch jacket for the Raven Boys that are Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Oh, wait, I'm so curious. Where did your handle come from? Um, the short answer is call me by your name. But yeah, that was in 2017. And I had a bookstagram account before that's closed right now. That was books, obviously. So I just like peaches, obviously. That was the art branches. But also, I do love peaches. And it's, and it's like your color palette has a lot of exactly in it. I really love your work so much. I am very excited. I'm going to go get a print. I haven't decided which one I want yet. But yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank um, you for having me.
And there you have it. A huge thank you to Miriam for chatting with me about art and books and business and the book art business. It was a joy. If this conversation has made you want to pick up some of her beautiful work, you can do that on her Etsy shop, Peaches Obviously, one word, and you should absolutely follow her on Instagram and TikTok at peaches.obviously. That is all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. (laughs) 